Welcome to the Bobayan Banter with the Pan-Extent Extension Dairy Team. My name is Adrian Barragan and I'm Extension Veterinarian and Faculty at Penn State University. Joining us today is Dr. Troy Odd, who is a Professor of Reproductive Physiology within the Department of Animal Sciences at Penn State. Thanks for being with us today, Troy. Can you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about the research that you do here at Penn State? Yeah, good morning, Dr. Barrigan, and, and thanks for uh, including me in your podcast. Yeah, so I'm a Penn Stater uh, from way back. I uh, grew up in Pennsylvania and, and went to Penn State as an undergraduate, and then went off to get graduate training in reproductive biology at a number of universities in the South. Um, and following a stint of about six years at the University of Idaho, I returned to Penn State here in animal sciences. Uh, my research focuses on uh, early pregnancy and uh, particularly focused on the dairy industry and, um, and maternal recognition of pregnancy. Great, awesome. Um, so what are the questions or challenges that you have been trying to answer all these years with uh, your reproductive physiology um, research? Well, if you can think back uh, about 20 some years ago when I really started to become an independent scientist, one of the big problems facing the dairy industry was dismally low pregnancy rates. And I think we were, we reached a sort of a nadir or a low point back in the mid to late nineties um, uh, with, with fertility and, and, and farms were really struggling. So this, this, uh, this was really the, the area that I focused on and have focused on for um, uh, more than 20 years now. And we understood that um, a lot of infertility and a lot of uh, the majority of pregnancy loss occurred in the first four weeks after insemination. And so my research has tried to focus on addressing issues re that regulate fertility in those in that four week uh, period of early pregnancy. And, and, and over the years, as I've studied how the embryo begins to interact with the uterus um, it has sort of driven my research more in the area of reproductive immunology. And, uh, and it's sort of interesting uh, as a reproductive biologist to start to walk into the, to the scary field of immunology. It took me a number of years to just understand that we really knew very little about how the embryo interacts with the maternal immune system. Oh, that's great. That's definitely something that um, back then was, was an issue, and I think that we have done tremendously a progress toward improving the, the um, fertility in, in our dairy cattle. Um, so I think that this would be a, a really exciting question for you, Dr. Ott. So what are the project, uh, a project that you're working on that you would like to share with us uh, and, and how that can be applied to our producers? Yeah, so I would just um, say a couple of things. You know, I mentioned that we really hit a low point in fertility in the mid to late 90s. And then we began, fertility began to uh, improve nationally. And that occurred initially uh, uh, largely because we were getting better at inseminating cows in a timely fashion, often using synchronization programs. And then early in the 2000s, we actually began to include fertility traits uh, beyond things like productive life, we began to include fertility traits in, in our selection indexes. And those, and that, those two things together, getting, getting animals inseminated in a timely fashion and, and, and uh, conscientious uh, selection for fertility have really then driven uh, pregnancy rates up uh, year on year since, since probably the early 2000s. 
but still we we didn't know and we didn't understand exactly what happened when uh, embryos were lost and, and why they failed. Uh, my work early on was about how the embryo uh, rescued the corpus luteum and, and kept the progesterone in the system. And then later we began to understand that there was this uh, important communication between the mother's immune system. And so what we've been doing over the last 10 years is really picking apart the mother's response, immune response to the arrival of embryo in the uterus. And initially we thought this was just the embryo how to avoid attack because of course the embryo is half half the dad, half the bull. And, and the mother's immune system should recognize those, those proteins and should attack the embryo, but in fact, it doesn't. And, and initially we think we were wondering if we could just understand why it didn't attack. But more than that, we've come to learn that the embryo actually reprograms the mother's immune system and actually has the mother's immune system working for it. And that's something, if you think about it, it's, it's quite odd. The embryo comes in, and doesn't just say, don't attack. It says, don't attack. And, and by the way, now you're working for me. And what it does is program immune functions that help that embryo form a placenta, a very intimate tissue association between the, the embryo and the, and the uterine wall. And we think that that communication, if it doesn't go well, can result in embryo loss. And I also would say in the beginning, I used to think of pregnancy as a binary thing. You're either pregnant or you're not pregnant. But in the mid-90s, we began to learn about this concept about the quality of a pregnancy, meaning the quality of a pregnancy could dictate the health and productivity of that offspring throughout her entire life. And so it is important not only to stay pregnant, but to build a great placenta that will provide optimal nutrient transfer to give you an optimal uh, uh, birth weight that will position that animal to, to be productive. And so we, we now understand it's, it's more of, it includes the quality of that pregnancy. So we are trying to understand what happens in that initial communication between the mother uh, and the embryo in terms of immune function, and what happens when it goes wrong and pregnancies are lost, and what happens when pregnancies are maintained, but the, the result is suboptimal. No, that's great. Uh, that's great. And it's incredible how these um, molecular level or more um, physiology uh, level research can help us understand how the outcomes work on the productivity uh, aspect uh, when it comes to uh, looking at performance of a dairy cow, right? Uh, Dr. Odd, any advice that you would like to give our, our producers about either these uh, more physiology uh, related research or a more applied research that your lab is working on? Yeah, so what I've talked about so far, Dr. Berrigan, is really uh, picking apart a highly complex chemical hormonal interaction. But we're always interested in how this information can be used to help improve fertility uh, on farms. And that really spawned uh, a couple of other areas of interest for me. The first is the growing understanding that in the dairy industry, we win or lose in the transition period for a cow. The three weeks prior to calving and the three weeks after calving, if we can manage our cows optimally through the transition, we really set our cows up for success, high production, and a long and productive life in our herd. And so as I was 
focused on immune function, I also understood immune function was critical in the transition period. So in the last five or so years, we've been trying to understand some of the changes in immune function that occur around the transition period and whether they might be actually programming that cow for success or failure at 60, 70, or 80 days after calving uh, when we are, are going to try to get that cow inseminated for the first time. So we have done some uh, a large field trial looking at ways uh, that, that we can alter immune function in the transition period and trying to, to determine if that could affect milk production and reproduction. And we have a study that's getting prepared for uh, uh, submission and publication now that suggests that there are things that you can do, particularly dietary manipulations that can set that cow up to, to be more productive in terms of milk production and to um, improve the fertility of that cow. So that's one real practical application. So as a reproductive biologist, I, I'm more and more interested in the transition period because I know that's where we win and that's where we lose. And so uh, I, can, I expect to continue to work in that area. The other area that it spawned as I began to look at the interaction between the embryo and the mother, our lab was the first to demonstrate initially in sheep and then, and then later in cattle that the signaling that was going on in the uterus between the embryo and the mother's immune system in the uterus was detectable in the peripheral blood. And of course, that, that gave us the idea that perhaps we could begin to measure that communication using a simple blood sample, and perhaps we could detect uh, failed inseminations earlier than we currently could. And so I've been working for over 15 years now to develop diagnostic tests that would allow us to look at the, the interaction between the embryo and the uterus uh, by taking a simple blood sample. When I was in doing my postdoc at uh, Texas A&M, there was an old scientist who said to me, you know, there's one thing we know about the uterus, and that is it's very dark in there. And what he meant was it's very difficult to see what's going on in the uterus in a live animal. But if we could get an idea of what was going on in the uterus by taking a simple blood sample and looking at uh, proteins in the blood or in the immune cells, this might help us get a better idea and might shed some light onto that very dark place. And so uh, we really uh, think in, from our own research and from research from a number of labs around the world, we actually can see the very earliest communication between the embryo and the uterus reflected in changes in, in, in expression of genes and proteins uh, in the blood. And so we have been trying to develop a, a commercial assay that will allow farmers to detect failed inseminations at least 10 to 12 days earlier than we currently can with existing diagnostic tools. So those are two examples, Dr. Berrigan, of application of what we're doing to the dairy industry. That's great. That's great. I couldn't agree more with the statement that you did, Dr. Troy, about the transition period and how important is that not only for milk production, but also fertility. Thank you, Dr. Ard, for talking with us today. And thank you to all our listeners. This was the last episode of the second season of the Bovine Venture. Please join us again on March 2nd, when we will begin our third season, where we'll be discussing best practices to protect your land and your profit.